So that led me to, yeah, sort of cultivated curiosity about um, what happens when the systems that we have in place don't necessarily serve particular populations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At WCSU, the podcast that tells you every secret about Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, here with Pete Puccio and Destiny Samuel, and we have a great show for you here today. Isn't That's that right, right, Pete? Yeah. First, we have Dr. Christine Hagel, who is a professor of anthropology, and she talks about her very interesting research, and then we catch up with Destiny about what's going on in her life and also about things on campus, and... Uh, and we wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Yeah. And Happy Hanukkah and uh, everything else that's going on. Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. There we you can go. say that. Thank you. <laughs> that's why Pete's here. Yeah. I was working me. at a bookstore at the, the height of the, the sort of war on Christmas mm. thing. So it was always, it was like a real minefield when somebody would come up to the register. You had to like panic and try to figure <laughs> out what you were going to say so you didn't get yelled at. And it just, it was, yeah, it's a thing. So, luckily, people seem to have sort of cooled off on all that. Yeah. And if they yell at us, we don't care, do we? No, we no. don't care. We'll just go in and change their grades. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get that joke in a little while. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, now we have Dr. Christine Hagel. Well, Dr. Hagel, you have, I think, some of the most interesting or are doing some of the most interesting research here at the university. A lot of professors do research on various things. And you have, um, you've gone all over the world on various things. You're a little closer to home with this. Could you talk to us about what uh, your latest research is? Sure. Um, so this project began in late 2018, and um, it is, in a nutshell, uh, a study of canners uh, who are waste pickers in New York City. And what I'm interested in is thinking about um, how canners, how the value of this work and the value of the people who do it might be transformed. Mm -hmm. Currently, they're a socially marginalized population, and I'm interested in observing and also, as an advocate, participating in strategies for revaluing the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And these are people who collect cans and bottles that have deposits on them and return them in for the deposit. That's correct, yeah. And I happen to live um, in... You know, New York State, um, which, like Connecticut, has a bottle bill, mm. although many states don't. Mm. And um, and what we find is that in bottle bill states, there are, particularly in cities, um, always communities of people who do this work on a fairly regular basis as a way to make ends meet. I think that part is one of the interesting things, right? It's not a, for these people, it's not a once every once in a while thing. They're figuring out the best routes, the best, most um, economic and efficient ways to do things mm -hmm. and uh, are mindful about it as opposed to what I think a lot of people in general, you know, they don't really think about the lives of canners and waste pickers too much. But when they do see them, they say, oh, there's a homeless person who's um, taking up space. 
Right. And that's been one of the really important findings of the research, I think, uh, which is that this is, in, in fact, a very diverse population, um, at least in New York City. We know that there are probably between 8,000 and 10,000 canners in New York City. And when we, when we use that word, uh, we tend to u- apply that term to people who collect bottles and cans from other people's trash mm-hmm. or um, other people's recycling, as opposed to folks who just return their own uh, deposit-marked cans and bottles. And um, so we know that it's a, a fairly large population, although currently I've just completed a new survey that we're going to be implementing around um, New York City mm-hmm. to try to get a more updated number, because that number may not be accurate. Um, it's sort of our best estimate. Um, but in the past few years in conducting the research, it's clear that this population varies by neighborhood around New York City. Hmm. So in some neighborhoods, uh, the canners who are moving around are primarily Chinese. Hmm. In other neighborhoods, they might be primarily Haitian. In other neighborhoods, Latino and any combination um, uh uh, you know, of, of, of all of those groups and others. Um, we also, at least at the, there's one redemption center that I partner with very closely. They're the only nonprofit redemption center in New York City. They're called Sure We Can. Mm-hmm. They were founded by a Spanish nun um, back in 2009 who really made it her mission to try to serve this population. And so she founded this organization in partnership with some canners. And um, at this redemption center, there are maybe about 8 to 10 percent of the population um, of regular canners who are unhoused. But beyond that, most people um, are housed. Some live in public housing. Some rent their own apartments. Um, and, and there are not, uh, there are more canners than you might imagine who actually work other jobs mm. and who can on the side in order to make ends meet. So, um, so they really vary, they vary linguistically, ethnically, they um, vary in terms of their level of education, uh, and they vary in terms of why they do this work, mm-hmm. um, how much of their income is really comprised of canning and how much of it um, is coming from other sources. And do most of them or all of them uh, can because for the income? Yeah, I would say that's that's definitely the, the prevailing impulse. But what's interesting is that we do a lot of um, community outreach and community sort of um, leadership development within the canning community. And um, along the way, we've talked to people about their motivations for canning. And there are a number of people who talk about canning as something that helps them be more connected to their community. It gets them out of the house. Mm. For many elderly people in particular, um, they may experience social isolation. And so canning becomes a way for them to feel like they're out and about doing something purposeful. They're helping the environment in some way. And, um, and they're just having sort of casual contact with people in their neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. and that feels better than just sitting at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a, if of the canners in a neighborhood, do they all know each other and interact? Or do they try to stay away or keep their own uh, sections that they pick up? 
You know, it really depends. I think there. Um, I think people connect at redemption centers mm. because people, um, you know, that's where they go and spend time uh, sorting their materials, and so they're more likely to have more time to cultivate relationships than they might on the street when they're moving pretty quickly from house to house, mm. collecting materials. I um, mean, oftentimes it's the case where, and I've gone out canning with um, folks. And, and what I've experienced is that if we're turning the corner and we see at the end of the block that there's another canner, then we might turn and go down another street because mm. we'll know that maybe that canner has taken everything on that block. Mm. So, um, so by virtue of trying to uh, be most efficient, people may not connect so much on the street. But um, because of the way the bottle bill is structured, um, when bottles and cans are brought to a redemption center, they have to be uh, sorted by material and um, by distributor. And so that's an enormous amount of work. <laughs> so uh, for canners that sure we can, uh, they'll come with you know a shopping cart full of materials and then they may spend a couple of hours going through everything that they have to, to sort of um, uh, put it in separate bags according to distributor like Heineken and Coca-Cola mm. and Manhattan Beer and all of the these different companies because those companies will be coming to pick up those materials so they have to be properly sorted. So that's where we see um, relationships begin to form and um, that's why at least at Sure We Can we really feel like it's, it's such an important um, goal for us to, you know, try to get increased city support and state level support for nonprofit redemption centers, mm -hmm. because it is a place where people are, people who may experience high degrees of social isolation or marginalization um, can come together and, mm -hmm. and connect with each other. So there are I mean, the only redemption centers I know about personally are the ones that stop and shop, right? Where you go and put do your own thing. Mm -hmm. So there, are there other, like in New York City, are there redemption centers that are not nonprofits? Or are you? Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of places that have those reverse vending machines. Mm -hmm. That's what those are called, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then there are other places. There are maybe about 40 of them. I've visited... I don't know, more than a dozen, and I continue to sort of go down a very long <laughs> list of redemption centers to try to visit as many as I can, where um, there aren't reverse vending machines, but there are. there's a staff who receive the bottles and cans that canners bring, mm -hmm. and that's where the sorting, um, rather than the machines, you know, sort of sorting materials mm -hmm. in the on-site, um, that becomes human labor. Mm -hmm. And um, and so most of those are uh, they're all for profit enterprises, small businesses, except for um, this one nonprofit. And do the for profit ones welcome the canners as well? It's interesting. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of redemption center managers at the for profit centers, and I was really surprised by the number of, of Redemption Center managers who, yeah, really made a point of talking about the population that, that you know, came to their Redemption Center and uh, expressed a really strong sense of empathy for um, the folks who are doing this work and for the need for them to be able to do this work with a degree of dignity 
and um, and to make the work easier in whatever way that they could. So um, yeah, so that's it, certainly not the case at all. But um, for some of the ones that I've talked to, I was really pleased to find mm. that that was the case. And did you say that's part of what your you're hoping your research will do is help bring uh, marginalized, these particular marginalized people kind of more into the economy and social status? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has unfolded in the past, I don't know, five or so years is that our, that sure we can and the canners in that community have become more deeply interconnected with a global network mm. of waste picker organizations. And so uh, we know that there are about 20 million people around the world who um, make a living by waste picking. And in many other countries, waste pickers are highly organized, so they have formed workers' unions <laughs> or collectives or what have you. And in so doing, they've been able to advocate for recognition and for um, safety measures and protections by their local governments. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one example of this is in Colombia. Um, waste pickers uh, in many cities in Colombia are the only system for collecting and sorting and recycling hmm. um, uh, discarded materials. There, you know, the fact that we have um, municipal sanitation services here in the United States very consistently across our cities and towns is actually an anomaly in many parts of the world. And so uh, waste pickers in Colombia, because they provide these critical services, they've been able to advocate for real protections mm. and recognition. And in fact, in 2013, they were able to instigate a revision of the Colombian Constitution to include language that carved out the right to waste for waste pickers. Mm. And so in other words, um, whereas in some cities, the Department of Sanitation, like in New York City, might say any waste that's put out on the sidewalk is our property. In Colombia, they have been able to claim waste as the property of waste pickers mm -hmm. or anyone in the public doing that work. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you know, the, in New York City, we have really learned so much from these other waste picker organizations. We are on Zoom calls mm -hmm. and meetings regularly with these other collectives and learning their strategies and learning to set some priorities. And so um, one of the biggest priorities uh, that we're working on right now is changing the bottle bill in the mm. state of New York. Um, it's been five cents uh, for a long, long time, since the 1980s. And we'd like to increase that to 10 cents. We'd also like to expand the types of materials that are deposit marked. So mm. right now, there are many things like tea and coffee and um, other types of beverages that are excluded from the bottle bill. Hmm. And we'd like to um, expand the bottle bill to include those things as well. You mean like Snapple tea? Is nope. Snapple does not <laughs> have a deposit. I didn't know that. Exactly. So <laughs> there are so many things that canners could be collecting, but they have to leave in the trash <laughs> because they're not going to uh, get a nickel for them. Right. In New York, does the municipal waste uh, agency uh, try to uh, discourage pickers? 
there is definitely tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spent time in city council meetings, and I go to the Brooklyn Solid Waste Advisory Board meetings and other places where we have these debates. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, uh, the Department of Sanitation rules and regulations, you know, do declare that all waste and recycling is the property of um, the DSNY, but they don't um, enforce that. Um, and in fact, on their website, they specifically say, please don't call 311 if there's someone picking through your trash. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, um, you should just sort of let it be. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, the city of New York contracts with a company called Sims for um, handling their recycling. And so Sims is, you know, has somewhat of a problem with canners, just in the sense that they know that uh, redeemables are high quality recyclable materials. And so they they perceive that on some level they lose money Hmm. because canners are out there doing this work. The argument that we make is that it's important to provide low barrier opportunities for um, folks who need it in our society, uh, even if that means that some income isn't going upward towards uh, a multinational company. Hmm. Well, most of the pickers and canners are bringing them to these places, right? So aren't they doing their work for them? The people are doing their work for these companies? Well, it's sort of a different thing. So on the one hand, um, Sims wants redeemable bottles and cans to show up in municipal recycling. Mm. So that's sort of separate from the redemption system. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? Right. Um, They want those materials in in that recycling bit. Um, But... um, but on the other hand, that you know, there are folks who could use that money mm-hmm. um, rather than directing it all towards Sims. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining that you didn't grow up thinking, "Hey, I'm going to make my career researching pickers and canners." Mm-hmm. That's correct. <laughs> um, no, I. Um, This project evolved uh, out of a number of different things. Like my original research uh, for my dissertation was in Egypt, Mm -hmm. where I was looking at informal aspects of the law. So um, so I've I've long had an interest in informality, sort of what happens around the edge of systems and institutions. And so... um, so that led me to, yeah, sort of cultivate a curiosity about um, what happens when the systems that we have in place don't necessarily serve particular populations, right? When, for instance, if in Egypt, one of the things I looked at was that hiring a lawyer for a small civil dispute was expensive, and mm-hmm. so a lot of people couldn't do it. And so what they would do is they would sort of operate around the edges of that and maybe use some legal technologies, um, types of commercial documents and so forth to produce the outcomes that they wanted, um, and in particular to address sort of debt, uh, problems with debt. Mm. Um, Following that project, it became a little bit trickier to return to Egypt to continue doing research there. Mm -hmm. The revolution happened in 2011. Um, Research on the legal system is sensitive. And so the political climate was such that it didn't feel possible for me to continue um, doing that work. 
So I began doing um, some other uh, research. I was collaborating um, with uh, some designers and artists on sort of innovative and experimental mm. forms of ethnographic research. I wrote a book about that in 2019. And then sort of as, as along the way, I was doing some research with a Finnish researcher um, who's, uh, who was undertaking a sort of major project on Arctic economies. And she was looking at labor um, and sort of how different types of labor in the Arctic, including sports labor, um, mining labor, mm -hmm. tourism labor, how they were all changing. And so in collaborating with her on that, I began to merge an interest in labor and work and working conditions with this interest in informality or popular economies. Yeah. And so that um, then sort of came together um, through this project. You know, it allowed me to sort of um, build on things I had already been thinking about, but focus on a new site that, yes, I can, uh, it's much more convenient. I can bike to my field site <laughs> rather <laughs> than nice. fly. Yeah. And, um, but it also it helps me understand my own neighborhood because mm -hmm. I live in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. It helps me understand some of the changes um, and things that are happening there. Mm -hmm. And um, how, what do you bring to the classroom based on this and what you found and how you interact with your students and talk to them? Yeah, it's um, I just feel like um, being involved in, in ongoing research is so invaluable to me as a professor. I feel like um, it comes into play in a lot of different ways. So I have actually hired our students to work as mm -hmm. research assistants on this project. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that's been great. I give them real life experience mm -hmm. um, on a project. I also will sometimes bring in the instruments that I will use, sort of my interview guides or my surveys. Mm -hmm. And I'll have students analyze and critique and revise the instruments that I'm using or thinking about using. So that, that helps them think about um, that helps them, you know, grapple with um, these instruments that are actually go going to be used for something. They're not just hypothetical, right? right? And, and I can give them the context for the project that helps them evaluate the efficacy of these particular measures or tools. So that's great for a research methods class. Um, I teach a course called Women Work in Power. And that was a wonderful course for being able to think about female canners mm -hmm. and the particular challenges that they face. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it sort of inserts itself in different ways depending on the course I'm teaching. And it shows how you, the value of anthropology, the subject itself, right? And how it reveals uh, other parts of the world too. Right, and inequalities, and, and, and also as an engaged anthropologist, I try to model for my students that you know anthropological research and insights are not just a sort of theoretical undertaking, but they really are tools for us to be able to create positive change in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Christine Hagel, thanks for coming in and talking with us about this today. I think our listeners will be interested as well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
And now, recorded live from the basement of Whitehall, Destiny Samuel. Every time, every time. Give us a song back. Yes, we're back at it. That's right. We haven't seen you since Thanksgiving either. True. Oh, my God. We do want to catch up on. Yes. Yeah. How was your plate? How was your Thanksgiving plate? It was very good. Although my (laughs) pumpkin rolls, I did something wrong. I didn't add enough sugar or something. They didn't taste good. Because I was going to be like, where's mine? Uh, I we I, my about. wife threw them all out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. They were In front of you, it was like a... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, she was very disappointed. Uh, I'll make some for Christmas, though. So. Okay, okay. How about your um, sweet potato crumble? Oh, my crumble? God, you remembered. Oh, it was a hit. They all oh, good. cleared it out the end of the night. I wish I had some to take back home because I made myself a plate during Thanksgiving to bring back to campus, but it was already done before I got the <laughs> chance to. So, I mean, that means it was good. So, if you guys need the recipe, I will find a way to look at it. We'll post it on the Instagram, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. So, the family was all good. You had a good time. Yes, it was a long time yes. ago. It's hard to remember back that far. No, it was it was um, an eventful one. This is the first time I've ever drank with my family. She's she's of legal age now, 22. So a lot of family memories were coming out, to say the least. It was fun seeing my mom let loose. My grandma, she is... 79 today and I think she's just standing back looking at the generations in front of her and just happy birthday yes oh my god yeah Capricorn season happy for her but yeah she was just I could tell she was very happy to be surrounded with so much love Mm -hmm. it was nice being back in that little cocoon of warmth before coming back here to slay finals (laughs) slaying (laughs) is the word Uh, I feel like I'm fighting a never ending battle and I'm kind of losing but I'm, I'm, I'm not giving up we think you'll be okay. Thank you. Thank we'll talk. You. Also, Pete can go in and change your grades to all yeah. A's. Yeah, can we talk about that one, Pete? Yeah, Paul, you seem to think I have some powers <laughs> over people's grades. Grades. <laughs> every year you bring that up. And every year we're hoping He doesn't like to admit it, but we know the That's truth. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that I can't do that at all. Yeah. Okay, let me find out, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> you had a Friendsgiving, too, before Thanksgiving. I did. Cultural thing on Friendsgiving, I cooked some mit Thai, which is like this Guyanese dessert. I love making it so good. Um, and my friend made some balaclava. Mm. We had some like baked mac and cheese. We had some, oh my god, I forgot. It's like a basmati rice with this chicken tikka curry. It was mm. just so good. That does all sound good. Mwah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've been eating good for the last couple of days. I'll just say that. <laughs> That was all on the hot plate in your dorm room? Oh, yes. yes. I, at this point, we had pans. And oh. in addition to that, we just had a cultural food event in the VPAC, actually. Really? I'm a club I'm part of called The Fourth Wall. We're like the diversity council of the VPAC, actually. <laughs> um, we had a multicultural night, so we brought in some foods from local restaurants around the neighborhood, around Danbury, some Thai food, some curry food, some um, Russian food, some like Hispanic food. And, yeah, it was a hit. I've eaten it. <laughs> when you bring in food. Of course. When you bring in food and invite people, it's always going to be a good time. But, yeah. I've... What are you doing with that council? Oh, so we put on a lot of talks. I think that's kind of where our main base is. Mm-hmm. Or not just such as that, but bringing in um, professionals who are of color, who are in our industry to kind of give talks back. But our regular talks, we, t- we decide a topic. So, like, our last one we did, body positivity. And we kind of just go through some questions. We give people in our department space to talk about these issues because a lot of times we face maybe some microaggressions that we're not used to mm. and we don't have a space to get it off our chest to talk about it. So 
we create that space. Well, especially for um, theater people, right? You're out in public. You're on the stage all the time. Mm-hmm. It's always so. about the look. So right. sometimes you just need a space to talk about it. That's, mm-hmm. and it get, does a lot for the community, I would think. Right. Mm-hmm. That's healthy, right? Yes. People feel better afterwards? Of course. So healthy discourse. And we always invite the professors and the chairs of the department, so the people who have power, who, people who make these decisions towards casting, they hear what we feel, and maybe they take that into consideration. That's always the hope mm-hmm. in the future. Have you seen changes? Oh, yeah. I okay. mean, I was casted, um, not a shameless plug, for next semester um, as Beverly, who's one of the leads in the play we're doing, Fairview. Mm-hmm. And I'm, oh, I might be a mother, which is one of my typecasts. I was like, ugh, a mother. I'm young when I'm playing a mother. But it's someone who's like, deeply in love with her husband and I've never played like a love interest so that's just and that's one of the things I talked about I was like I never feel like I can't be loved and I guess they took that into consideration because I have a little husband I'm going to play with next season (laughs) so we'll see yeah that'll be great Mm -hmm. I'm still reeling from you saying I might be a mother I was like wait a minute (laughs) breaking news here on the no no the typecast the mother typecast so (laughs) she's been pigeonholed in that one huh And now a wife, so that's and good, too. And now a wife. A little, little extra did it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I heard that the um, fashion show that you orchestrated went really well. The fashion show, yes, yes, yes. As always, I love the fashion show. It did go a little over time, so I will, I, but it's okay. It's okay. I feel like what it made up for with the history that it showed, people said they learned a lot. It was beautiful. A lot, it was a lot of people's first time going to the fashion show. We had a full house. We had to open late because there was a line down to Fairfield of people coming in, which has never happened before. So I'm completely honored to be a part of a show that had that much success. We cultivated some more relationships with our other CSUs. We invited a lot of them to come over. Mm -hmm. Southern actually performed here. Mm -hmm. And now they invited us to do an event back with them. It's over there. And I'm like, it's been, no, it's so, it's been such a great time. It's such, such a great fallout of it. And I'm very excited for next season's fashion show, even though I will not be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Sadly, sadly, it runs in conflict with the show I'm in, Fairview. Um, but I know the success of this one is going to pass over to that one. And I just keep, I hope it just keeps going and going and going. We learn and it becomes more successful as time goes on. I want to come back here 20 years later and fashion show is still going on. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, look what we did. We started this. <laughs> what we are working on, actually, ACSA, the African Caribbean Student Association, we're creating a fashion show guideline. Because huh. with this show, I feel like we made a lot of changes that we didn't do before, and I think that helped with the success. And my hope is that we continue and grow on it. So we want to make like a live, living document mm-hmm. that can always be amended, but people can refer to it so the next e-board that comes in after us, because as a senior, I have to work on transitioning the new people in. That's right. Um, so we're making a little document so the next group, BSU, which is doing it in the spring, they can look at what we did and try to copy on and add on things that they think that it can be changed or this will go much smoother if we do it this way. And I just think the easier we can make it for people who come in after us, the better. Yeah, they'll mm-hmm. appreciate it. Does mm-hmm. it switch from one organization or the next from semester yes. to semester? So in the fall semester, it's the African Caribbean Student Association. And in the spring, it's the Black Student Union. Hmm. I so didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, it's very, a lot of people group us together. We did do one like super group fashion show, which was my first one, actually, and when we came back from COVID in 2021. Yes, but it's usually fall, I used to say, spring BSU. And they have different topics, different things they always cover, because always African Caribbean will cover stuff in that culture. Mm-hmm. But BSU, it's fair game. <laughs> Honestly, it's like whatever they want to do, they put on. And I feel like a lot of people gravitate towards that, because they don't feel like, well, if you're not black, they feel like sometimes you can't wear the, the kente cloth, or they feel like uncomfortable. But 
we try to push that like it's not about that <laughs> like we're just sharing culture with people who are here at this community that's the point of it mm-hmm. um but yeah with bsu it's fair game so a lot of people love that one it's gonna be it's gonna be great regardless <laughs> And, uh, you know, the president of the university attended. Yes, he did. I heard. I was, oh, gosh, I felt such so famous, you know, that day. <laughs> we turned in such a big crowd. I mean, we were advertising like crazy. Like, you couldn't turn around without hearing my fashion show. I mean, I was on this podcast talking about fashion show, plugging in as much as I could. So I'm so happy. We had a lot of administrators and professors there, that mm-hmm. show. that, And I think that made me happy that it. It became more of itself. It became more of than just like the little student club putting on a show. Right. It had an impact in university. And because we had more of a historical third line with the Griot Gala, I feel like it kind of highlighted that this just wasn't a way for us to throw money and put, get cute pictures. It was like right. there's something, there's some substance to this show. And I'm happy that that's the show that professors and faculty saw. Yeah. yeah. Our friend Daryl Dennis was there. Yeah, Daryl! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our advisor. We love, love, love Daryl. He always looks out for us. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now what are you going to do with all your free time? Free time? You think I have free time? (laughs) It's a lot of winding down, which is good, but it's also crunch time. So Mm. finals this week has drained me. I feel like I have, like, permanent dark circles, and I'm trying my best to put face masks on to relieve it, but it's just lack of sleep. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, it's just, it's crunch time. All the assignments are due at the same time, and now mm-hmm. just trying to put it together. I mean, I have finals next week, which is like, okay, I have a couple of days to get these assignments done or work on this and work on that. But it's just, it's a lot at once. I feel like there's a hush on campus now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the libraries are full. Everyone's just grinding, which is, I guess, the way it's supposed to be. But, yeah. oh, gosh, is that, and then balancing SGA like that closing off as well. So I have some books to start balancing and some budgets to check <laughs> off. So working double time on school and my um, position. Are I, you the treasurer? Yeah, I was director oh, of I finance didn't know that. for the oh. student. It's a governor's association. Yes, I am. Mm. She wears a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, when I'm not doing that, it's working because building manager, of course, as well for the centers. So I, you'll see me at desk literally doing my homework. Wow. For <laughs> one comes in to info desk. But yeah. Where do you sit then when you're working? Oh, the... so at the info desk. So I'll be at the in the campus center on the west side when you first walk in. Yeah. So I'll be at that desk or on Midtown, I'll be at the student center info desk. <laughs> Just cool. doing my homework <laughs> getting paid <laughs> for it, you know. Answering questions. Answering questions, of course. So doing setups if I can, unlocking uh, yeah. doors. Yeah. So do you have papers uh, to do or? Oh, my gosh. Do I have papers to do? Uh, So I think the thing that has been um, stressing me the most out of all of my finals, I'm taking senior portfolio this year because senior, of course, and I Mm -hmm. wanted to do it this semester rather than next semester because I hear it's a beast to get through Mm -hmm. from our um, past alumni, and they were not kidding. (laughs) It is a $120 120-page document basically full of like um, reflection papers, five-year plan papers, cover letters that I will be sending out to future employers. Mm. I mean, it's a great project. It's just so time-consuming. It's basically a reflection of all of the work I've done here in my years here at WestCon, in addition to like a research paper, because you know, school. They always want to do a research paper. (laughs) Um, And the culmination of all of that, we have like this huge binder full of 100 something pages and it's just a lot to sift through and yeah, a lot no to gather um so that's been taking up most of my time but i think it's cool like when i have the end result when i'm finally finished with it that i'll have something to actually take in with me mm-hmm. one thing west i think does the best 
is prepare students for careers. Hmm. Um, not just with our fabulous Career Success Center that plugs, um, a shameless plug, that um, sets us up with great internships, but in terms of our class, they put us in a position where we are ready to be, we're hireable students, mm -hmm. we're hireable people. Um, so in addition to just this reflection stuff, because I'm writing cover letters that I'll be sending out to potential agents, because that's part of the research, like yeah. researching agencies, agencies you would like to join and actually sending stuff out. So I guess when I leave here, I'll hopefully have a job. Like that's right. the goal, but yeah. <laughs> and what's your research on? Oh gosh, okay, so it's always long. So the research paper, it's supposed to be based on one of the shows we took part in either this semester or the previous one. So last semester I did Ernest and the Pale Moon, which is like this horror noir, like mental hospital type thing. Um, so fun, weird show, loved every moment of it. But from that we basically pick a topic and we just do whatever we, we just kind of go down a rabbit hole. So from that, that show I just did, Black Women in Horror, and then I just did find my annotated bibs and like that's kind of where it went through. Yeah. Um, difference between how Black women are portrayed in media, portrayed in horror, horror films specifically, and how that has evolved over time. Hmm. That's my research paper. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I pulled it out of nowhere. <laughs> I was like, it has to get done, so here we go. <laughs> Find something I'm, I'm kind of interested in and just go with it. Yeah. There has been more um, horror genre movies with black women in mm -hmm. them recently, though, right? Yes. I mean, um, Jordan, oh my God, <laughs> it just came and went, oh my God, I just said Jordan Peele, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Jordan Peele has been kind of sh shoehorning that with mm -hmm. us. Um, that's part, a lot of what my research has been on, with using us and Nope and Get Out and focusing my stories around, my work around that, of course, using actual annotated and <laughs> annotated bibs and research um, to support the case, but the best part is that my professor said, yes, if it's about movies, you can watch movies as far as some of your sources. So I've been having some yeah, good movie good. nights <laughs> and trying to gather as much information as I can. Yeah. Have you written a letter to Jordan Peele then? Oh, no. Oh, maybe I should. Yeah. Just like a letter and also just slide in my headshot and resume. You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I the kind of letter I meant, uh, asking for a job in his next uh, movie. Oh, my God. I mean, I haven't, but <laughs> maybe I should. You should. You've got all the background. That's true. Maybe he'll be impressed. Ooh, let me not hit this mic. Wow, I'm yeah, going to write that, that down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bold, but bold, people like that. So you Your professors like it. True, true. Pete will tell them to like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm actually writing that down. Right? Email to Jordan Peel. That's good. <laughs> and there were, weren't there some um, uh, events where they brought in uh, service animals to help oh people get God. through? Yes, they're the best. Um, I literally was just going through my Snapchat history because last year we had something called Yappy Hours, like Happy Hours, and they brought in a bunch of service dogs. But this semester, I think it was a couple of days ago, they did one with cats. Yeah. Yes, cat cat hour just to de-stress, touch some pets. I know for me, when I went to Yappy Hours, it was like the best. I stayed there for the entire time, the best three hours of my day, just... I, I was like, I can't look at the screen anymore. I can't look at this laptop. I have to go pet some dogs. And they're just so cute. And I can imagine the cats were so cute, too. Oh, I need a pet. <laughs> I, I'm, like, trying to scan my way. How can I get an ESA pet here? <laughs> but I don't know if that's going to go. I mean, I'm almost out of here, so I don't need a pet. But it it's so – I'm very happy that the university, at least the clubs on campus, they do their best to do de-stress events because – 
as much as it seems popular and like a lot of clubs do it, we mm-hmm. all need it. It's like the best little one hour, two hour pockets we have if we're not like grinding and putting all the work in and doing yeah. our projects or studying. Um, so they're very well needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, this week are the one acts in the VPAC. So basically there's a directing class and all of them are assigned scenes and they cast actors who have not been casted in the main stage shows and they just do 10 minute slots, 10 minute like films, whatever. Um, and that has been a highlight of my week. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I'm like, I need to get out my room. I'm going to go watch my friends put on some little scenes and little shows mm-hmm. and it's going to be great. Um, and that's running from today and tomorrow. Those are two more days left in the show. It opened, well, student previews was yesterday and it opens today and runs till tomorrow. And so, what do they call it? Um, the One Acts. Okay. Over in VPAC? Uh, over in the VPAC, 8 o'clock. If you have some time. 8 p.m.? 8 p.m. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, you guys have something to go to if you're sick of looking at your laptop like me. <laughs> Head over <laughs> to the VPAC, the Visual Performing Arts Center on West Side, and see some good scenes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. Also, next week we have an event coming through campus. It's called Reads Across America. Mm-hmm. They have there's twelve trailer trucks full of Christmas wreaths that are uh, brought from Maine and they're on their way to Arlington National Cemetery where people, volunteers, put them on the graves there of the veterans who were buried there. Oh, wow. Of course, in Arlington, almost all of them are veterans. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be there for a while, but that's why they need the 12 trucks. Yes, but, that's right. Oh, wow. I'm so happy they're passing through. Are they, is there like a stop? Are they doing some speeches? Or? Yeah, all that. They're stopping on Tuesday, the 13th, Great. at around noon, a little after, and uh, bringing the whole caravan up onto the west side. Wow. And they'll be in the ballroom of the campus center yes. and giving some speeches and presenting some honorary wreaths to a couple of people blue and gold star families who have mm-hmm. lost their um, members of their family during war mm-hmm. or it, they were at least in the military and have uh, passed and uh, so it'll be a big deal for about an hour a lot of, very hectic a lot of traffic and then they'll all go away oh I mean it's lovely that they're stopping by I know mm-hmm. we do have a, a student veteran presence here on mm-hmm. campus. Um, so I think it would be great to just get out there and support as much. So you said the 13th? I'll be there. That's yeah. right. Good. <laughs> um, yes. Get there before noon because all that traffic, it's a mile-long convoy. Oh, you're right. Anyone who's driving, I would aim for 1030. <laughs> just to get ahead. <laughs> just in case. Luckily for me, I do live in Penny on West Side. Oh, that's right. So, it'll be so you can walk over. <laughs> it'll be a walk across the street. The shortest commute. Um, but yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's a great... It's a great, it sounds like a great event, and it sounds like a great cause. It's a great cause, mm-hmm. yes. And otherwise, we'll just be watching students taking their finals, right? Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but guys, just there's one more week. Get through it. We got this. I believe in you. I trust in you. Seniors, <laughs> you know you got to do it, so got to do whatever you got to do. Just push through. Crunch. That's Crunch. right. Yes. And what are you going to do during your break? Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Actually, I do have some fun stuff. Well, other than the fact that I do have a SGA e-board meeting. So, yeah. so I'll be back here going over business. But I was invited to a conference, the A1s conference, that I got through WestCon, actually, hmm. um, through my theater program. Mm-hmm. So it's a conference where there's a bunch of agents, talent scouts, um, casting directors. They come, I auditioned for it, and I got in, actually. Um, and they, I basically auditioned in front of them and see what jobs I get. That's cool. <laughs> and if I'm not doing jobs, and they have a bunch of workshops with people who are leading an industry teaching us. So, yeah. That'll be great. 
great great time it's down in norwalk so i'm just trying to gather my funds to buy the hotel and so you don't have to commute because i don't drive and it's gonna be a nightmare trying to find a way to get down there but yeah. um it's gonna be so great it's so fun it's such a learning experience or a working experience fingers crossed yeah yeah hmm. well the train goes from uh, down to norwalk too True. Or South Norwalk or something. Sure, but I'm coming from New York. Because uh, <laughs> I'm going home. So <laughs> I was like, I'll figure it out when I get there somehow. Yes. Pete will help you figure it out. Yeah, Pete. Yeah. I, you know, you just hack into the I'm system. Just omnipotent. Yeah. <laughs> change so trains, be... change train schedules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's Whatever exactly you need, what you need for. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so at these auditions, is everybody like you full of energy and personality or I mean, do you stand the, out because of that? That's the hope that I will mm-hmm. stand out. Um, I know that a lot of people are going to this conference. There's probably hundreds of people that are going to be there. So standing out is the goal yeah. <laughs> to get something out of that. Um, but even if I don't get a job out of it, I just think I love going to workshops like this. It kind of reminds me of KCACF, which is the Kennedy Center, mm. Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival, which is how I found WestCon actually, because <laughs> of my last college. Mm-hmm. Um, WestCon has a huge presence there, but uh, I just think it's such a learning curve, and I think it's best to learn from people who are actively working because they can give you the best advice of how to actually break into the industry. So it's going to be rewarding regardless. But fingers crossed on the agent, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Senior year, I need to get something. So next time we get together, you'll have some news for us. Oh, my God. Yes, actually. We'll see. Yes, hopefully. You're making it sound like she's expecting again. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yes. It's been great catching up with you guys. Yes. Is that last one for this semester? Just for the semester, yeah. We'll be be back back sooner than you know. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, God, the break. I know a lot of people say the month is long, but I don't think it's long enough. (laughs) No. You'll be very busy. Yeah. (laughs) I had one year when I was a junior or something, it was six weeks, and it was like I almost didn't come back. It was too long. (laughs) It was like like a little kid on summer break or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, We come back January 18th or something like that. Okay. I'm probably moving in a little earlier because the conference is the weekend before. Mm. And if I could move in, well, I, they let you move into the, the dorms early if you do the little payment. Problem. Pete, you'll get her in early. Yeah, actually, work on yeah, that. yeah yep. you just yeah, yeah. log in and get me in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll probably be in here a little earlier for a MSGA and the conference. So I'll be, I'll, it's literally like a two week break for yeah, me, actually. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'll be moving in early. That's why I was like, oh, it's just longer. But, you know, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'll have all the. Um, finals and everything behind you. Exactly. And then you can wusa, breathe, focus on gifts. I love gifts. As a Leo, <laughs> as a Leo rising, something where I, just, I think gifts are my love language. You know? <laughs> gifts and money. It just it does something to me. Um, so hopefully you get a lot of that during Christmas. But yeah, it's we'll a good see. thing you're treasurer then. Ra- oh, you're you're right. bringing the love to SGA. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, she changed her position name, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Lover of finance, I guess. That's right. All right, Destiny, thanks for being here again today, taking a break from your work schedule, your all your things you're doing. Have a great holiday, Yay. and we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you, and the same sentiments back to you, Paul. Thank Have you. a great holiday. Thank you. And Pete, too. And Pete. I <laughs> guess you're going to get something. <laughs> <That was great. laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, Pete, I think that was an excellent holiday uh, kind of holiday-adjacent show. And your opinion is the only one that counts. That's correct, I guess, right? Scott is not in the room right now. That's right. So. That's our producer who hates everything. <laughs> Mostly just the basement thing. That's his real hang-up. <laughs> Which but, you continue to do, even knowing you, that he hates it. So. I know, I know. But that's kind of our signature. It's true. Recorded live from the basement of White Hall. Yep. And we like it. And he hates it. <laughs> well, that's his, uh, his Christmas present this year. Yeah, that's so. right. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Make sure you record us and, what do we say? Download subscribe. us and subscribe. Yep. Yeah. Everywhere you want podcasts. Follow us on social yeah, on and, Instagram. Uh, we might have an episode Destiny. or two over the break without Destiny. Yeah. And then Destiny will be back, uh, you know, in a few weeks. Right. So, see you then. Bye. At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WCSU Podcasts and feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at WCSU.edu. Thanks for listening.